Very early on in the stories that we have between God and his people, he taught them that they needed to offer sacrifice. Right? So um, we have the story of Cain and Abel. Right? Abel um, gives his sacrifice, which God favored over Cain's, and, and Cain killed his brother for it. But early, early on, you have this relationship between God and man that God is asking for sacrifice. Now you move to Abraham, right, and Sarah, right? So not just Abraham, but also his wife, Sarah, the sacrifice that he asked them to make as they began his church, his people of God, as he made them and their descendants a people. But then of Abraham, he asked a very special sacrifice, although he did not make him go through with it, not this special sacrifice of offering his son Isaac. Um, but the Lord had, you know, initially to test his faith, asked him to sacrifice his only begotten son. And the reason he did that was to give his people a story that they would remember for when he himself sacrificed his only begotten son. But even despite the angel staying the hand of Abraham to offer sacrifice of his son, sacrifice was still offered, right? And so you have these animal sacrifices that are offered over and over and again. Blood is spilled and offered to God. And God commanded that it be so. And this was, this was a way of marking their relationship with God, of, of making it sacred, and from the beginning, uh, God chose specifically, interestingly enough, men to be his priests. Um, he didn't choose women to be his priests. He chose men to be his priests. It goes back 5,000 years. It's just an interesting, it's historically true. It's what happened, and it's significant. Now, as we move throughout Jewish history, you have sacrifice going on and on, but we move to the captivity, right, in, in the slavery in Egypt. And we know the story. We've seen the movies of Moses and Pharaoh and all the rest and the plagues that come, and none of them work until the final threat of the angel of God coming and slaying every firstborn male in, in the land. And then as we're, we were told in the first reading, each family was to procure for themselves a spotless, unblemished lamb, and slaughter it, kill it, spill its blood, put its blood on the doorpost, and consume the lamb. And because they consumed the lamb, that house would be passed over, right, by the angel. So it was a celebration of Passover. And this sacrifice would lead to their delivery from slavery. The sacrifice the spilling of blood leads to, uh, leads to freedom from slavery, right? And so we know how it works, right? The, the, uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh, tells him Pharaoh didn't listen. And so the angel comes, passes over all of the households that had made the sacrifice. They're saved from that. And then Pharaoh finally relents and, and lets them go. I just wanted to ask Father Frank, what was that like to know Moses? <laughs> yeah. He's probably a rough guy, right? Uh, yeah. Look kind of like me. 
So the, the, it's really, really important we understand that meal of Passover, Passover, and that the father told his people, do this every year, commemorate this, burn it into your memory, sacralize it, make it a sacred action, you know, uh, make it a part of your faith and keep practicing it over and over and over and over and over, and they did. Sacrifice would continue to be offered over and over and over in a special way by the priests, but everyone were, were participants in offering sacrifice. It never excluded women or the people, but there was a, spart- a particular group of men chosen to be priests of God. It's true. So we move then into the time of Jesus. And here we are, you know, hearing about this Last Supper at, you know, at the end of his public ministry prior to his crucifixion. And they all expected Jesus to do the Passover like they've always done the Passover. They all knew how to do this. They've done it all their lives, right? They've commemorated this sacred moment uh, of delivery from slavery over and over and over. So they knew how it went. But Jesus changed a couple of things as he was wont to do throughout his ministry. And particularly, he takes the bread and he blesses the bread. But then he says, this is my body. This is new. And then at the end of the meal, he takes the the chalice filled with wine and he says, this is my blood. And this is new too. And no doubt in that moment, the disciples remembered what had happened when Jesus talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. When they didn't understand, when everybody left him and they didn't get it. They didn't understand why he would allow so many people to leave because he was so very clear that his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. They had I'm sure they had no clue how that was going to work until this moment at the Last Supper. And he takes that bread and he says, this is my body, light bulb. Oh, oh, okay. So that ties everything. Okay, it's starting to, you know, they're starting to put the pieces together. takes the wine. This is my blood. Do this in memory of me. Okay, now it's making sense because... This is the the perennial sacrifice we make commemorating delivery from slavery. Now the Lord uh, brings this meal to its greatest fruition. It still is a delivery from slavery, but it's a delivery from death and a delivery from sin. And so Jesus takes the old law and transforms it into its fullest expression. Right? He gives it its, its uh, proper fruition that for all of those centuries commemorating the Passover led up to this moment and the people were prepared to understand that this meal now would be, continue to be a meal of transformation, but it would not necessitate any other animal sacrifices. Rather, it would commemorate once and for all the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross. A sacrifice that happened in time, but because Jesus is God, it happens also in eternity. 
It has this eternal dimension, this eternal value. The sacrifice happens once and for all. And so on every altar where this, if you will, new Passover meal is celebrated or fulfilled Passover, however you want to talk about it, or just Passover meal, that every single time this is celebrated on this altar, the cross of Christ is made present. That sacrifice, no longer the spotless lamb of the first Passover, which is commemorated, now the the definitive spotless lamb who died on the cross is made present on every single altar in every Catholic church throughout the centuries. That, as Jesus said, do this in memory of me, so his apostles did. And just as he gave them authority to make new apostles, so they did. Right away in the early church, they understood that this was the definitive meal of what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And they did it. And they did it, we've done it uninterrupted for well over 2,000 years. What it necessitates, though, is just like the sacrifices of old, it necessitates someone designated by God to offer the sacrifice. And we call them priests. And for all of, all of the days of of God's people walking with him, God designated certain men to be in this role, a priest, a mediator in a a certain way between God's people and him, that they would offer sacrifice, not for themselves, but on behalf of the people. Now, why did he, I don't know why he did it. You were there, why did he do it, Father Frank? (laughs) All right, that's the last time I'm going to go to that well. (laughs) Poor Father Frank. He can handle it. He can handle it. (laughs) So, um, So from the beginning, God chose, you know, particular men to be in this special role as priest. And then... Uh, when we come to Jesus, Jesus makes, renews everything, right? And, and makes, brings everything to its proper fruition, including the priesthood. And so we say that there is a priesthood that all of us share because like everyone from the beginning, everybody offered sacrifice. You remember uh, Mary and Joseph going to the temple offering a sacrifice of, of uh, turtle doves, you know, in, in commemoration of their firstborn son. Mary participated. So the people offer sacrifices, but there's a special role that he gives to only certain men. And he selects them just like he selected the apostles. This is clear. It's what he did. And he gives them a special role in relationship to his people. And the role that they have is to be in his person for the people. So that the priest is changed by virtue of ordination. It's not merely a designation, right, that you can now perform the sacraments. The sacrament actually of ordination, just like baptism and confirmation, is an ontological change, meaning the being is changed. The soul is changed, we believe, in a very special way, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. They make a mark on the soul that never can go away. It's called indelible. And so certain men are chosen for this for some mysterious reason, very mysterious. I cannot emphasize enough 
how mysterious it can be. But I think, you know, I was, I was thinking, of, thinking about this all day. You know, why did I become a priest? And, and not, why did I become a priest? But, you know, just, why did I become a priest? And I think it ultimately comes down to, because it's not that I, I don't have a very narrow skill set or something like that. I, I mean, there's a lot of things I could have done. But um, I guess I, for some reason, I, I really wanted to listen to God at an early age and I just wanted to do what he called me to do. It really just boils down to that, which is discipleship. It's really what we're all called to do. Listen for God, listen to how he calls us, and be willing to say yes. It's what Mary did. It's certainly what Jesus did. It's what the apostles did, most of them. Um, but listening to God's voice and then doing what he asks you to do. So, you know, you say yes to that, not really knowing what it means, None of us do. When you got married, you didn't know what it would mean. I know because I prepare you for marriage. So, you know, it, so, you know I meet the, the, the younger people as they're getting married, and it's a lot different than, you know, I mean, if we got all of you in a room to talk to them, maybe nobody would get married. I don't know. Um, but, you know, you, you, you become married or you choose to get married for reasons that are different for why you remain married. And it's the same thing with the priesthood. The reasons I chose to enter seminary at, in my 20s and why I chose to be ordained or said yes to the call um, when I was 29 are much different than at 51. And I think as it should be, you're a different person. Hopefully we change and grow. But God has chosen certain men to have this role, to stand in, his, in the person of Christ and to give the sacraments for his people, to teach his people, to guide his people in the sacred things, as it were. And it's a mysterious reality. Um, it doesn't mean that every priest is good at it, is, is always good in themselves. You certainly have enough evidence of that, um, just in the two of us before you. Um, so perfection is not is not necessary, of course. No one would get in. But, of course, nobody would be married at all if perfection was necessary for you to enter that sacrament either. God takes what is fragile and fallen and imperfect and tries to make something great of it. And he tries to do that in all of us. And it, for those of us who say yes to the priesthood, God is trying to work through us in a very special way that is incredibly humbling. As we hear in the Gospel of John, his story about the Passover meal, the Last Supper, is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who detail sort of the, you know, the bread and the wine. John takes a different approach with the washing at the end of the meal, Jesus um, announces he's going to wash Peter's feet. Well, this is not the role of the priest. The priest is elevated. So they thought, I mean, that was the example they were kind of given, and it was this exalted role and all the rest. Well, especially for this rabbi, especially for Jesus, I mean, they were there to serve him. Who is he to wash their feet? And yet, 
the Lord says it has to be this way. It just has to be this way. I'm going to give you an example of what it means to be a priest. And this is what it is. It's not about you. It's about service. It's about the people. And, and so, of course, the, the, the challenge for all of us as priests is to make it about you, not about me, not about us. That our lives are given for you. We exist. We're called by God for you, not for ourselves. By extension, this great commandment of washing one another, if, as it were, is, is given to all of us. So in a special way, it's given to the ministerial priesthood. But in a, in a very real way, the commandment is given to every single one of us. That the Eucharist is not just meant for me alone. The priesthood is not just meant for me alone. That the Eucharist and the priesthood is meant to go out. Like anything that is love, it is supposed to go out from itself. And it's supposed to be given away. And just like every great, uh, or every sacrament, which is great, marriage itself is not really, it, it's initially, yeah, it, it, there's an element of it being for the two of you, but it's meant for something greater, it, right? I mean, the, the love that comes from the marriage is supposed to spring forth, God willing, there's children, but even if there's not, that love that is shared goes forth to others, so too with the priesthood. In all of our lives, then, the sacrifice that we receive, that we celebrate, that we participate in, in our own way, is not meant to be hoarded, is not meant to be just sort of my devotional act, you know, between myself and God, but it's meant to be taken, to be transformed within, and then for us to go out and to share, to, to give love to give service, to wash one another. And so in this way, then, the Eucharist is given its fullest expression through this washing. Because if it solely remains something between myself and God, then it can be something selfish. It could be. But as Jesus shows us, the Eucharist is meant ultimately to be for us to be sent out, for us to be leaven in the world. And so while Father Frank and I have this role of being in here, sanctifying you, your role is to take that sanctification and go out and sanctify others, to go out and be a priest for others, to make sacrifice in your families, in your schools, for your friends, for those you love and for those you don't. And in this way, we all share in the Eucharistic banquet. We all share in this way in priesthood, and we all share in offering sacrifice. Please stand. <clears throat>